Good morning. The scripture reading this morning will come out of the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, starting with the 31st verse through the end of the chapter 34. If you're using the Red Pew Bible, uh, it'll be on page 812. If you read with me, I'll start. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take no thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. May God bless the hearers and doers of his word. It's good to see you this morning. Am I on? There I am. Thanks very much for your attendance and your participation in our worship this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We're really, really glad that you've come our way. We hope that you'll let us get to know you, and we want you to know who we are and answer any questions that you might have. Um, last Sunday, we had kind of a, a you know, COVID scare, if you will. Our family's all negative, and we're, we're thankful for that. But we were able to worship on live stream from home. And it just reminded me, I know we've got a lot of people that are worshiping today with us from home. And I know that you're tuning in regularly and you're, you're participating in the songs and the prayers and you're giving of your means and, and you're doing these things and listening to the lessons. We just want you to know as a congregation that we love you, that we care about you. And I know from personal experience over the last couple of weeks, it's sometimes easy when you're sitting in your home to think that you've been forgotten about or you think that maybe nobody cares and when we're not regularly assembling or able to assemble with God's people, it's, it's easy for us sometimes to, to forget the love and the bonds that exist among us. And I just encourage all of us to remember that we have a number of our members that their doctors have told them it's very dangerous for them to get out right now. There, there are some legitimate health concerns that many of us have. Let's not forget the bonds of love that bind us all. And just because we don't see someone at service, let's not let them be out of mind. Let's pray for one another and encourage one another. Would you bow with me as we pray together this morning? Let's do that. Our God and our Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning and we want to offer you worship. We want to offer you our praise. God, we're so thankful for the songs that we've been able to sing. We're so thankful, Father, for the, the, those that have led us and those have directed our minds. We pray, God, that everything that we do this morning is a blessing to, to you, that we communicate to you how much we love and appreciate and adore you. God, we're thankful for the church that meets here at Katy. We pray, Father, for our elders and our deacons. We pray, Father, for every member. We pray especially for those that are homebound at this time, and we ask, Father, that soon this pandemic might come to an end. We pray, Father, that our bonds of love and fellowship will not diminish, but rather they'll strengthen through this. 
And we pray, Father, for the day when we can all be back safely together with no concern for health and no concern for safety. God, we pray that you'd bless our lesson this morning as we learn about your purpose for us. And we ask, Father, that you'd help us to seek first your kingdom in all things. Thank you so much for Jesus and the priorities that he gives us. Thank you so much, Father, for the purpose that you've given to us in our lives. Help us to seek that with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have some aspirations in your life right now, and so do I. You've got some goals. If I were to ask you, what do you want to accomplish today? Maybe you've got some things you want to get done this afternoon. What are your goals over the next week? After a week off of eating turkey and ham and whatever else you had for Thanksgiving, you probably have some things that you need to accomplish. Maybe you go into the office tomorrow and you're going to have a stack of work to do this tall, but you've got some aspirations. Maybe your aspirations are longer term. Over the next month or over the next year, you're thinking about what I need to get done. Your aspirations are the blueprint of your life. What you're hoping to get done what you think needs to be accomplished, the things that you think are important, those aspirations are the blueprint of your life. And I want you to think about this question this morning. What kind of life are you building? If you accomplish everything you've got planned, all the purposes in your heart and mind, if you get those done, what will you have accomplished? That's a question that's not inconsequential because... As one preacher said, life is what happens to us while we're busy making other plans. And if you stop and think about it, one of these days you're going to get down the road of your life if the Lord wills, and you're going to look back, and the question that's going to nag at all of us is, did I accomplish anything worthwhile? Did my aspirations lead me to honor God and glorify Him? Did they help people to become more like Jesus? Are my aspirations godly ones? The word aspiration is closely related to the word purpose. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's food. And so he drew a line in the sand and he didn't participate in what the king tried to encourage him to do. In Acts 11 verse 23, Barnabas went to Antioch because they were converting Gentiles. And when Barnabas saw the grace of God, the Bible says he was glad and he encouraged the church that with purpose of heart, purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. What are your aspirations? They are the blueprint of your life. I will add to that this morning that no purposeless soul is happy. No purposeless soul is a happy soul. If I don't have a sense of where I'm going and what I'm trying to accomplish in life and what my purpose and mission are, there's not going to be a great deal of contentment and happiness in my life. It's just they don't go together. People who are aimless and have no sense of direction, no purposeless soul is happy. When you look at the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah set his mind to building the wall around Jerusalem, remember? And in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3, his enemies came and they said, Nehemiah, we see you up there on the wall and you're working hard. We need you to come down for a conference with us. We want you to come and talk to us. And Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work 
Why should the work of the Lord cease while I come down and talk to you? Nehemiah knew a great work when he saw one. Do you? And not only did Nehemiah know a great work when he saw one, but Nehemiah dedicated himself and made it a priority to accomplish that work. And so I ask you again this morning, what are your aspirations? What are your hopes? What are your purpose? What is your purpose as you live your life? Open your Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to look at verses 31 through 34. Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34. Jesus tells his disciples not to worry. It's about aspirations. It's about purpose. Don't worry. In verse 25, in verse 31, in verse 34, three times he says, do not worry, do not be anxious. Don't let the things of this world be all that you aspire to, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Don't let that be the sole focus of your life because this is what the Gentiles worry about. This is what they are preoccupied with, Jesus says. But then look at verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6. We just sang it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, the Bible gives us a number of purpose statements, a number of very quotable scriptures that can help us to learn about what our aspirations really ought to be. This is one of them. And I'd like for you to think with me this morning about this promise that Jesus makes in Matthew 6, and think about its implications for our lives. Jesus says, if you really want to have the right aspirations, if you want to be focused on the right things, have the right purpose, here's what you need to do. Listen carefully to the Savior's words. Notice, first of all, the Bible says that this is to be a priority for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the question might cross our minds, well, why does Jesus say this is the most important? I mean, if I had to make a list of all the things that were my priority, my priority, I might, I might list things like being a husband and being a father and being a good influence on other people and maybe making sure that my life is right with God, those kinds of things. I'd, I'd list all those. And Jesus says, I want to sum all that up and I want to call it the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's to be your priority. And everything that goes underneath that needs to be your focus. And here are three reasons why it is to be our priority. Number one, because Jesus says when he talks about the kingdom that it is of superior worth, superior value. You got your Bible open in Matthew? Turn to chapter 13 and look at verses 44 through 46. Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. Jesus is saying that there are some things in this world that, is, that, that are more valuable than others. And in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, he shares two parables. The hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure that was hidden in a field, which a man found, and for joy over it, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field so that the treasure could be his. Likewise, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. Someone who found the pearl went and sold all that they had so that they might obtain the pearl. 
And the message for you and me is this, brothers and sisters and friends, there is no better way to invest your life. There's no better purpose that you can find than to invest in the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's nothing better than investing in the people and the plan and the purposes of God in your life. Nothing more significant that you could do. And I know people are looking for purpose and significance. And I know people are looking for a way to make an impact on the world and make a difference in the world. And Jesus is saying, this is the most valuable way to spend your life. There's nothing more worthwhile than this. To follow me, to know me, to have a relationship with my heavenly father. That is true worth. That's true value. And that's true significance before God. But not only is it of superior worth, it is of eternal duration. When we invest in the kingdom of God, when we invest in his righteousness, we are investing in something that lasts. This world is going to burn up one day. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. It's going to melt with a fervent heat, the Bible says. And all the stuff we build and all the treasures we attain and all the Wealth that we accumulate, all of that's going to be gone in a puff of smoke. And Peter goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3, if that's true about this world, then you ought to be investing in things like godliness and holiness and the kingdom of God. Because it is of infinite value and eternal duration. It's going to last forever. When I invest in spiritual things, when I invest in helping people to know God, when I invest in my character and developing it to become more like Jesus Christ, when those are my aims, those are the kinds of things that last forever. In 1 John 2, verses 16 and 17, John warns us not to love this world and not to love the things of this world. Those things are going to take us away from God but rather to invest in heavenly things, spiritual things. Third reason why this ought to be a priority for us, because of the present availability of the kingdom. Some people say the kingdom of God hasn't yet arrived. Some people say that the kingdom of God is going to come when Jesus returns at the end of time and he establishes a throne in Jerusalem and he's going to reign for a thousand years. And they say that's when the kingdom is going to arrive, but it's not here yet. Well, the apostles apparently didn't know that because they taught very differently from what that idea teaches. The apostles said that we already are in the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 Jesus has translated us out of darkness into his kingdom, the Bible teaches. In Acts 14, verse 22, Paul went and taught that with much tribulation, we can enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. John, the apostle, called himself a fellow partaker in the kingdom of God. He said, I'm part of it, and so are you, when he was writing to his brethren in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. The kingdom is a present reality. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Did you know that when you become a Christian, a couple of different things happen to you? When you say, I want to be baptized, I want to submit my life to Jesus Christ, and I want to become a New Testament Christian. Did you know that when you're baptized, a number of different things happen to you? You receive forgiveness of sins when you're baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Cleansing. Forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus and what he's done for you. 
You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 teaches. You become a member of the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 47. When, you are, when you're baptized, you're added to a body, a, a group of Christians who believe in like ways, and they teach the same things, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. But when you're baptized, you also become a citizen of the kingdom, a citizen of heaven itself. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And so my question for you this morning is, if the kingdom is presently available, why aren't you seeking it? If you could be part of the kingdom, and if you can have this relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, if you can know forgiveness and salvation and fellowship with those of like precious faith, what's holding you back? Why are you refusing to do what God very clearly teaches that He wants you to do? And God wants that so much that he gave his son to die for you. It's to be a priority because of the present availability of the kingdom. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. When's the right time to make sure I'm seeking the kingdom? Today is the right time to make this my priority. Is it yours? You'll find significance. You'll find a lasting impact you'll find that this is something that is attainable for all who would come to Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But as you look on at Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, notice it's not only a priority, but there's an object to be sought. I've already said much about the kingdom, but just think about what it is that Jesus is telling us to seek. Actually, in Matthew 6, 33, it's two things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see that? two things. So my priority is to seek two things in my life. And again, the Bible might phrase this in other ways. It might say, my purpose is to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself, Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Or the Bible might say that my purpose is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And so there are a lot of different ways that the Bible kind of couches this idea of seeking first the kingdom of God. But all these different expressions are just different variations on a theme. I am to make sure that my priority in life is honoring and serving and having a relationship with Almighty God. And then likewise, making sure that I'm a channel of His grace to other people. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So think about the object for a moment. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. When Pilate asked Jesus what kind of king he was, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. John 18, verse 38. It's a spiritual kingdom. I didn't come to build the kind of kingdom that you can see that has geographical boundaries. I didn't come to build the kind of kingdom that's going to have an air force and a navy and an army. I didn't come to build the kind of kingdom that we're going to, we're going to take some territory and we're going to fight for it. And we're going to build walls and defend it. I didn't come to build that kind of kingdom, Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. It's different. It's spiritual. And so if you're going to make sure that you're seeking first the kingdom of God, you got to think about this. The kingdom that I'm seeking, what I'm investing in, is not of this world. It's spiritual in nature. But then secondly, it's also not empirically observable. In Luke 17, verses 20 through 22, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when are we going to see the kingdom? And the Pharisees had this in their mind, that, that Jesus was going to build this earthly kingdom. 
They had in their mind that Jesus was going to restore the greatness of Solomon's rule. You know, the Jews thought about Solomon back in the Old Testament. They thought of that as being the zenith of Israel's glory. Because the Bible says that during the reign of Solomon, there was gold and silver and jewels in abundance and wealth and riches and great accomplishments. And the territory of Israel was huge. And so people came from all over the world to see and to talk with Solomon because of his great wisdom and because he could answer questions that seemingly nobody else could answer. And everybody looked at Israel and everybody envied Israel. And so when the Pharisees asked Jesus, well, you're greater than Solomon, so when are you going to restore the kingdom? Jesus must have disappointed them in Luke chapter 17 because what he said was, the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. That is, it's not empirically observable. It's not something like what Solomon had. Solomon had that kingdom that was full of wealth and riches and everybody heard about it and wanted to come see Solomon. And they knew where they had to go. And they could say, we are now leaving the territory of Egypt. And if I cross over this line, I'm crossing into the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus said, I'm not building a kingdom like that one. I'm building a kingdom that is within you. That's what he says in Luke 17. The kingdom of God is among you. It's in your midst. And the idea is, brothers and sisters and friends, instead of geographical territory where you draw a circle on a map and you say, inside this territory, that's where the kingdom of God exists, you are the territory. And I am the territory. The hearts and minds of people, that's the territory of the kingdom. And so what we do is, as we go out into the world, we want the kingdom of God to go into all the world, and we want other people's hearts to be part of the kingdom, other people's souls to be part of the kingdom. And that's how the kingdom grows. It doesn't grow by saying, you know, our territory ends at this line right here geographically, and we're just going to take our swords and we're going to conquer all this land over here so that now we can have a greater kingdom. That's not the way it expands. The way the kingdom of God expands is when we talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they believe and submit to the gospel, and then they become part of the kingdom themselves. And so the kingdom grows as you take the kingdom to somebody else and they become part of the kingdom and then they take the kingdom to somebody else and those people become part of the kingdom because it's not empirically observable where you can say, there it is, there it is, there it is. It's in our hearts when we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Is that what you're seeking with your life? Is that where your aspirations lie? I want God's kingdom to expand and increase. I want his kingdom to go into all the world. Is that really what you're all about? The rule of God in every human activity, that's the kingdom. The idea that God and his word, they influence every aspect of our lives. If I'm a politician, the kingdom means that I submit all my decisions as a politician to what God wants me to do. If I am a businessman, being part of the kingdom means that I submit all that I'm doing as a businessman to the principles and the precepts and the honor of God. If I'm a father or a husband or a wife or a mother, I submit all that I'm doing and the way I'm treating people to God and to his rule and to his influence. So seeking first the kingdom of God means that God is going to be the one who controls every aspect of my life. 
every dimension, every hat I wear, every role I have, God is going to be the one who shows me and tells me, this is how I want you to behave. This is what I want you to do. That's seeking first the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom. But not only that, Jesus says, seek the righteousness of God as well. Maybe we don't think enough about that. We talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, and we have a lot to say, and the Bible has a lot to say about the kingdom, but the Bible has a great deal to say about the righteousness of God as well. And what we're basically saying here is that everything God says is right. He never makes a mistake. He never gives us bad advice. He never gives us a judgment or a decision that is wrong. And when I acknowledge that, when I believe that with all my heart, as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 172, all your commandments are right. I believe that God knows what's best. I believe that his way is the right way. It is the correct way. And even when it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, I will do what you ask. That's seeking the righteousness of God. And seeking the righteousness of God also involves seeking his cleansing and forgiveness. Because as much as God knows and says and gives us what's right, we don't always do what's right. And we need to come to him. And we find him when we come to him every single time we ask for forgiveness. Every single time we repent and say, God, I want to do better. And I want to walk in the paths of righteousness. Every single time. He never grows weary of hearing from us. He never grows weary of forgiving us. In Romans chapter 10, verse 3, Paul prayed for his brethren, the Jews, that they might find the righteousness that comes from God because they were trying to find a righteousness in themselves. They were trying to do it all by themselves. Jesus says, you can't. You can't save yourself. Only I can do that. What are your aspirations this morning? What are you really all about? What are you hoping to accomplish with your life? Jesus says... If you're going to be my disciple, you got to think about you're a part of the kingdom of God and you're carrying that kingdom around with you everywhere you go. And as part of the kingdom, you ought to continually be seeking my righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God. He shows me the paths that I ought to take and he forgives me when I don't take those paths as I come to him in humble, submissive repentance and confession of my sin. 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Is that what you're all about? Now third this morning, when you look at Matthew 6, verse 33, there's also a promise, an assurance. Because Jesus knows that there's a lot going on in life. He knows that there are a lot of things that stress us, and a lot of things that concern us, and a lot of things that make us anxious. And that's why in this section of Matthew chapter 6, he says three times, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. Doesn't God take care of them? He'll much more take care of you, won't he? Oh, you have little faith. All these things the Gentiles seek after, the things that you're worried about and concerned about and the stuff that you're really obsessing over, don't do that. I will make you a promise, Jesus says. Are you listening to the Lord? I will make you a promise. If you will be concerned about the kingdom and the righteousness of God. If you will make that your sole focus, which by the way, write this down if you're taking notes, it means that I gotta think about others besides myself. 
I've got to think about somebody other than me. If I'm going to seek God's kingdom, if I'm going to seek his righteousness, I've got to think about somebody besides myself. I've got to think about the people of God, for example. What kind of impact am I making on them? I've got to think about the lost, for example. How am I carrying the kingdom of God to others and helping them to become part of this same glorious kingdom that Jesus established? I've got to think about God and am I right with God? Righteousness, right? I've got to think about others besides myself. How does my sin affect God? I've got to think about those things. And Jesus says, if you'll think about somebody besides yourself, if you'll focus on the kingdom and the righteousness of God, then all these things shall be added to you. You see it there in Matthew 6, verse 33? All these things, what things? The things that you're anxious and concerned about. And so the specifics... In this context, what are the specifics? What we will eat and what we will wear. What we'll eat and what we'll wear. As things continue to unfold in our country concerning the pandemic and concerning the economy and concerning a lot of other issues, it's amazing when you look at the news and you see the number of people that are lining up for the food banks And you see the extraordinary number of cars because people are having trouble making ends meet. And you can sense some concern in people's lives about these kinds of things. What are we going to eat? How am I going to put food on the table? And Jesus is saying very practically, seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of God. Make that your aspiration. Make that your priority. And God will feed you like he feeds the sparrows. Sparrows don't wake up in the morning worrying about how they're going to eat. They just wake up in the morning and they eat. God will clothe you like the flowers. The lilies don't worry about how they're going to dress and what they're going to wear and whether they're going to be able to be clothed. The lilies just grow and God clothes them and they're more glorious than Solomon himself, Jesus says. The promise is you put the kingdom first. You put the righteousness of God first. God's going to take care of these other things. It's a promise with certainty shall be added to you. And you know, sometimes people say, well, I've known some Christians that have done without. You know what? So have I. But I've never known a Christian yet who starved to death. I've never known a Christian yet who couldn't get the resources to be clothed and to continue living in a way that honors God. You read about the life and the ministry of Paul, and you'll see that Paul sometimes had to deal with some really hard circumstances. And Jesus is not saying, I'm going to make you comfortable and happy and and healthy all your life. That's not what he's saying in this promise. What he's saying is, God will give us exactly what we need to be faithful to him continually. That's what he's saying. Regardless of our circumstances, God will give us exactly what we need in order to continue to serve and to invest and to long for being a part of his kingdom and being right with him. Your aspirations and mine are the blueprints of your life. Before we ever build a building, we draw it out on blueprints so that we know what the building is going to look like when it's complete. Jesus has drawn a blueprint for your life in this verse. And he said, if you want to live a life that 
is right with God, if you want to live a life that is significant, if you want to live a life that God can use for his glory, seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And all these things, these other things that you're concerned about will be added to you. We need to think about our aspirations, what really concerns us, and ask the question, is life really all about me and my wants and my goals? Or is life really about what God wants and his goals? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian. You want to become part of the kingdom that Jesus died to establish. Believe in Jesus Christ. Confess that he is God's son, that he is the Lord. Repent of your sin. Be baptized. It's not just about you. You're becoming a part of the kingdom. You're becoming part of the church. And you have a relationship to build and to maintain with the people of God as you continue to reach out to those you have relationships with in the world and help them to become part of the kingdom of God too. And if that excites you and if that interests you and if that's something that you want to make your priority, there's no better time than right now to say, I want to be part of the kingdom. Make your way down the aisle. Obey the gospel as together we stand and as we sing.